Revelation 9 and verse number 1. Now, these are the trumpet judgments. We have already seen trumpets 1 through 4 last week, and here today we're going to be seeing trumpet 5 and 6. And it says, The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. This is not a cosmic star. This is speaking of an angel, a spiritual being. And I believe personally that this particular star is not a demonic angel, but rather this is one of God's servants. Because we find later on that this angel of the bottomless pit shows up in order with a chain and a key to the bottomless pit and takes Satan and binds him and locks him up in the bottomless pit. And so I believe this is probably a good star or a good angel. If if it's not, it's certainly one that is obeying what God Almighty tells him to do. So this star falls from heaven to the earth and to him. All right, this is a personage, not a uh, galaxy planetary star, but to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. So the bottomless pit is in this earth, we know that, and it says he opened the bottomless pit and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. So this smoke and no doubt probably ash comes up out of this. This is not a volcano, this is the opening to a pit. All of this comes out when that lid or that door is opened. And verse 3, there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. These are not grasshopper type creatures, but these are, uh, these are amazing. And uh, I don't even, uh, we've got a description we're getting ready to read, but I'm telling you what, folks, this is a horrible, horrible creature here. They came out of the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth. That's what locusts typically do. Neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only these men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. God has made a distinguishing difference between His and the devils, those that are not his. And by the way, folks, God always makes a distinguishing difference between those that are his and those that are not his. There's no in-between. And we continue reading in verse number 5, And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented. This is the, the torment that is upon those that don't have the seal of God in their foreheads. And their torment is five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. I've never been stricken or struck or stung by a scorpion. How many of you have ever been stung by a scorpion? If you've ever lived in Texas or been in Mexico, some of those areas, South America, scorpions are very common. I've never been stung by a scorpion, but I've been lit up a time or two by yellow jackets and hornets and different things. And I'm told that a scorpion sting is right up there with those type of stings. It says in verse 6, And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. Dr. Kevorkian is not going to be able to help. 
There's going to be no pill. There's going to be no, there's going to be nothing that they can do if, and, and by the way, let me say this. There are a lot of people in this day and age that are either thinking about it or have taken their own life. And that's a very sad and a very hopeless situation. And let me say this to you. If you're struggling with that and you're thinking that there's hope in Jesus Christ, you say, well, I've tried everything. No, you haven't, because there is hope. If you'll get serious about Jesus Christ, you're going to find that your problems in this life are not the biggest problems that you'll ever face. It's the life after that you've got to worry about. And so, please, uh, if you need help, if you need to talk to someone, don't, don't do the, the horrible thing of causing other people grief. You say, people, nobody would care about me. I promise you. I promise you, you're going to be causing other people a lot of harm. So let me move on from that. And it says, verse 7, And the shapes of the locusts were likened to horses prepared into battle, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold. All right, these are something about this creature. It looks like a crown, and it looks like gold. And their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women. I'm sure that the modern gender, whatever we want to call it, LGBTQ, wokeism today would take issue with the Word of God that distinguishes a difference between the hair of men and the hair of women. But it's in the Word of God, and it's clear. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that even nature teaches us some things about uh, the different kinds of hair regarding gender. And once again, I'll move on from there says they had the hair of women, their teeth were as the teeth of lions. In verse 9, they had a breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men for five months. Now, I can't imagine five hours after being stung by a yellow jacket, it continuing, but this sting and its strength and severity is going to last five months. That's rough stuff there, folks. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue he hath his name Apollyon. That's destroyer. And and I believe personally there's a connection here, this king of the bottomless pit, and the names of this king, I believe that it's... Uh, connected to perdition, and I believe there might be a connection there to Judas Iscariot. Possibly, but we'll move on from there as well. Verse 12, one woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. The four angels were loosed which were prepared for an hour, a day, and a month, and a year for to slay the third part of men. All right, these other creatures are going to sting people without the the mark of God in their foreheads. All that are not gods, they're going to get stung. They're going to... They're going to be suffering that pain for five months. They're going to be so tortured that they want to die but they're not going to be able to. Death's going to flee from them. But this sixth trumpet, when these creatures come out, 
It's for a one-hour period of time. It says in verse 16, the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, and I heard the number of them. 200 million creatures are going to follow these four angels that are loosed from the bottom of the river Euphrates for one hour, and they're going to go throughout the earth. And verse 17, and thus I saw the horses in the vision them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone. The heads of the horses were as the heads of lions. Out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed, by the fire, by the smoke, and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, For uh, their tails were likened to serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. We'll stop there. I want to talk to you about these trumpet judgments, five, uh, five and six. These are what we'll call today the demonic judgments. Father, bless this message here today. Lord, this is some heavy stuff. This is some amazing things we cannot even fathom. No matter what we've seen that Hollywood's put out, Lord, we cannot fathom the reality of what's going to happen on planet Earth. We believe it to be true. Lord, uh, uh, they say truth is stranger than fiction, and Lord, certainly uh, that is a true statement. And now as we look at the Word of God, give us understanding, give us clarity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I introduce this message here today, I want to make a statement here that the spirit world is just as real as the physical world. We are living here in the physical world, things we can touch and we can see and we can hear and all of our physical senses, we're able to relate to the physical world around us. But there is a spirit world, an unseen realm that is around us. Man is a curious creature. Scientists want to discover things. Authors and producers of movies, uh, they, they intrigue us with science fiction. And the digital world today is um, filmmakers are able to portray aliens and creatures and all kinds of things, amazing and horrible imagery that is so realistic. Many of you remember the B-grade movies of the 60s and 70s where they tried to portray these creatures and aliens. I, I remember as a kid watching this uh, this uh, Greek folktale about Jason and the Argonauts. And the animation was, I think, the clay kind of animation that they move. And it was always, it's like kind of kind of interesting for that day and age, but it wasn't realistic. But I'm telling you, some of the stuff today that they portray you would think that they're actually filming these creatures, and it is so realistic that a lot of people even think that it exists. Now, you may ask the question, preacher, what do you think about aliens? Do you believe that there are aliens? Well, I'm not going to use that terminology, but I'll say this. I believe that there are creatures in the spirit world that we either haven't seen or are not supposed to see. And there's a few characters in the Bible that God opened up their eyes and they saw some things. But for the most part, we don't see those things. 
And with some of the descriptions here in the book of Revelation, I'd have to say, even though I'm curious, and who wouldn't want to be able to be interviewed and say, oh yeah, I saw one of these things, but realistically, we don't want to see this. I don't think that we would be able to handle it. Just as God put a cherubim in in the Garden of Eden at the gate with a flaming sword so that man couldn't go back into the Garden of Eden. That wasn't God being mean. That was God being a protector because inside of that garden was not only the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and all of the other good uh, trees with fruit that man was supposed to freely eat of, but there was also the tree of life. And after man partook of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, his nature became corrupt. He spiritually died that very moment that he ate of that fruit. And God knew that if he goes back in there and eats of the tree of life, he's going to live forever in this body of sin and death. I don't want to live forever in this body. Now, if you're young... And you've been working out and you're in good shape. You might think, well, that wouldn't be so bad. But I hate to break the news to you. It don't stay that way. Time always catches up. I don't care how much you exercise and diet. And I don't care how much surgery and injections that you take. It's going to catch up. And the movie stars that try to hold back time, it catches up. Bad stuff. I, I guarantee you, I've seen some pictures of some of them. And it's like, man, I wish they, I bet they wish they hadn't have got that done 10 years earlier. Anyhow, I won't digress any further. The things in the spirit world, they're real. They're unseen. We can't see them, but they're there. And we don't need to see them. We don't want to see them. God has kept us in the dark of those things, not to keep something away from us, but rather to protect us. Now, the first thing I want to talk about here in the message is I want to talk to you about the places that you cannot see. Now, I provided a chart here for you. This is a a chart that has been drawn by Clarence Larkin. I, I I know it's an old black and white chart, and there's a lot of things here that you possibly... I know you can't read all of these things, but he drew this chart, and this is a picture of the earth. And, of course, you've got uh, up here, you've got the cross of Calvary, the three crosses. And he, he shows how that one of the thieves that was penitent, he went down to paradise, and the other thief went down to a place called hell. And in between hell and paradise, you have a great gulf fixed, and... Then he shows the um, the abyss or the bottomless pit, and then he shows the lake of fire over here. Now, I will say this, I don't know, I have no scriptural uh, reference to say where the lake of fire is. It's a different place than hell, okay? Because hell and death is going to be eventually cast into the lake of fire, and God doesn't reveal to us where this lake of fire is. But then over at the bottom left, you have a place that... Uh, Brother Larkin, he used the the Greek word Tartarus, which is the prison of the fallen angels. Now, we don't find that name in the English Bible, and it doesn't necessarily have a name or a title, but there is a reference, we'll see it here in a few minutes, of where some fallen angels, a special place where God is keeping them, 
and prison. But there are places you cannot see. And for the most part, Brother Larkin was correct in his chart, and that is that these places, many of them, are in the heart of the earth. We know that from the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He said in Matthew 12 and verse number 40, he said, For as Jonas, Jonah the prophet, was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, they took his body and they placed it into a tomb, but his spirit and his soul, the real him, the conscious him, and by the way, our human bodies are very temporary, but our soul and our spirit are eternal. And so Jesus, the Bible says that his soul went to the heart of the earth. Uh, Consider uh, what he said in Luke 23 and verse number 43. And Jesus said unto him, this is the uh, penitent thief. We already changed slides. The, The thief on the cross that said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So Jesus is three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So prior to him resurrecting, paradise was in the heart of the earth. Acts 2, verse number 31. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. The body of Jesus, his flesh didn't see corruption. He was placed in a cool tomb. His body was deprived of all of its blood, and even the medical community would say that in that climate, during that time of year, in a sealed cave, without any blood in that body, that that body would not begin to decay in that state. But his soul was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It says in Acts that he his soul was not left in hell. People ask the question, did Jesus suffer in hell? And I don't know the absolute answer to that. I know my personal feeling. I know he was in the heart of the earth. I know that there are two compartments in the heart of the earth that are typically referred to as hell. But I do believe this, that the suffering that Jesus did in our stead was not per se the suffering of hell, but the suffering on the cross of Calvary. That's the suffering that I believe redeemed us and gave us that escape from hell. The Bible does say that when he resurrected, he says he came forth having the keys of hell and of death. He resurrected triumphantly. And that's a huge blessing. Now, Luke 16 is a great, great chapter that tells us about hell. And it comes red letter in my Bible, it comes from the mouth of Jesus Christ. And at the beginning of Luke 16, he says, there was a certain rich man. He never said this is a parable. And the liberal religions who try to dismiss the reality of hell, saying that that was just a parable, they never bother to tell you what that parable means. 
Because if you read Luke 16, if it was a parable, I'll tell you what the parable means. It means that you're, when you die, you're either going to go to paradise or you're going to go to hell. So they just try to dismiss it and erase it. We don't want to face that. I'm not, listen, I believe in rightly dividing the word of truth, but I don't believe in chopping portions out that disagree with my theology and just ignoring them. Hey, I, I want my theology to line up with the Bible. I'm not interested in the, trying to make the Bible line up with my theology. Luke 16, verse 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now, if you're wondering, where is Abraham's bosom? We'll demonstrate to you here in just a moment that that place that you saw called paradise in the heart of the earth is also called Abraham's bosom. And it says, The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. So at this time, in the heart of the earth, there was hell, and then there was Abraham's bosom, and they could actually evidently see across to the other side. Now, I don't know about you, but that would even make hell more of a torment to be able to look across and see people that are being comforted while you're in torment and thirst and flames and so forth. And in Luke sixteen twenty six, Abraham answered him and said, Beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So once a man ends up in Abraham's bosom, paradise, he's there, he doesn't have to worry about hell, and those that are in hell... They need not have any false hope that they might make it into paradise. And let me say this, if you if you were raised with any Roman Catholic um, influence and you have been taught that there is a place called purgatory where you can go and you can suffer and atone for your sins and eventually be released from that, it's not in the Bible. It is a lie, no pun intended, but it is a lie from hell. And uh, how many people are going to go into eternity thinking that I've got some hope when they have no hope whatsoever? Listen, you can't atone for your own sins in hell. The only way your sins can be atoned for is by the precious blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now is your opportunity to receive Him. And if you breathe your last breath and you don't receive Jesus Christ in your Savior, you're going to go to this place where this rich man went, and there's going to be no hope. The only time you're going to be released from that place is when you stand before a holy God at the great white throne of judgment. And let me tell you something, you're going to wish you could crawl back to hell once you stand before a holy God and His eyes pierce through you and He judges you. I'm telling you, you say, preacher, you're just... Uh, being one of those old-fashioned hellfire and brimstone preachers, you're trying to scare us. Well, you're a very intelligent observer, because I am. But I'm not manipulating you. I'm telling you the truth. And the truth ought to scare all of us. It ought to scare us into faith in Jesus Christ. And then we have this prison, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse number 2. Remember I said that Abraham's bosom, 
was called paradise. Well, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse number 2, Paul says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. Now, the third heaven, it's not like the Mormons teach where there's three levels of heaven. The three heavens are explained in Genesis 1. The first heaven is the the sky around us where the birds fly. The second heaven is the solar system where the moon and the stars are. And the third heaven is where the throne of God is. And so Paul has this experience, or he knew this man. I, I personally believe that this happened to Paul, and he just is trying to make sure he doesn't take credit for it. But he says he knew this man. He was caught up to the third heaven. And in verse 3 he says, And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. When you hear these testimonies of people, you know, getting, you know, getting the paddles and brought back to life and then they start talking about all what they saw in heaven and so forth, don't believe it. Because Paul says if you ever saw it, it's unlawful to utter. You know, what, what good's gonna come out of that? You say, well, people might believe if they heard that testimony. It doesn't work that way, folks. We have testimony right here. Hey, if, if I died and came back from the dead and I told you what I saw and you believe me, am I saying that my word is more trustworthy than the word of God? It just doesn't work that way. If somebody really saw it, I'm not saying that people don't have experiences, but I do know this. Hey, I've dreamed some really crazy things, haven't you? There are some things in her mind, and I would imagine that when in a near-death experience that the mind is, there's all kinds of things that could go on. But Paul says that he, whoever this was, that they saw unspeakable words which are not lawful for a man to utter. Now it says here that paradise is now in the third heaven. It's no longer in the heart of the earth but it is in the third heaven. How do you explain that? How do you reconcile that? Well, it's crystal clear. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, Ephesians says that he led captivity captive. It says that many of the bodies of the saints, that they came out of the graves when he resurrected, they were seen in Jerusalem. All of those saints that were in Abraham's bosom, including Lazarus, when Jesus rose from the dead, guess what? He took them with him to the third heaven. Now, the reason they couldn't go to the third heaven before is because Jesus had not yet atoned for their sins on the cross of Calvary. Heaven is a holy place. God's not going to allow any sin or anything that would defile into heaven. Your sins have to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and that could not happen until he died on the cross of Calvary. Now, there is a prison of these disembodied spirits. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, Larkin called it Tartarus. I, 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 God, the Bible doesn't give it a name, but it says, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Jesus, during those three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, at some point in time there, he's preaching to those spirits in prison. And, and you might say, well, did any of them get saved? 
you got to understand preaching is not all about who's being preached to. Preaching is declaring God's truth. And you know the Old Testament prophet? Sometimes he wasn't trying to win people or to change people. He was just telling them what God said. Sometimes they were prophets of doom. And I believe that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, there were these disembodied spirits that they'd been around a long, long time before Genesis 1. They knew the Son of God, and He knew them. And He went down there, and I just personally believe He told them what He had done on the cross of Calvary. I I don't think it was to convert any of them. I think it was just to let them know that what we've been saying is going to happen, it's happened. It's a testimony. And so it says that these spirits that he preached to, verse 20, were sometime disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. So these disembodied spirits, if you study Genesis chapter number 6, and i got to be really careful, I don't take much time on this. Genesis 6, sons of God are marrying the daughters of men. The offspring is some superhuman beings. The Bible says that, gen, that Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Listen, the DNA of the human race prior to the flood It was corrupted by this cohabiting between the spirit world and their offspring. I I, I believe that the offspring, when the flood came, that God didn't put them in the same hell that he put the rich man or anyone else. He put them in a special place because they were a special creature. They were part spiritual being and they were part flesh. And so they went to a special place called prison. And um, once again, truth is stranger than fiction. And there's some amazing things that if we'll just believe the Word of God, we can know and we can understand. All right, then there's the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit, this is not a place for man, yet truthfully, I think it's important to understand that none of these places are literally for man. They weren't made for man. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. All of these places in the spirit world, yes, man ends up there because of sin, but it wasn't God's plan. These places were not prepared For us, they were prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, another thing that, uh, you know, you think about the heart of the earth, there's some places that man is and has been that is also a part of the spirit world. The earth and the atmosphere and outer space is all part of the unseen spirit world. In Job 1, verse number 7, the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. God's in the third heaven and between there is outer space. And he says to Satan, where you been, Satan? He says, I've been all over the place. 
up and down in the earth, on the earth, and so forth. Here's a little note about outer space. A lot, lot about outer space. We got what Elon Musk is sending rockets up. People, do you know that Captain Kirk literally went to space? How crazy is that? There are a lot of people that think that space is the answer to all of the problems. That, you know, if this earth, if we destroy this earth, the environmentalists think, well, we're going to colonize somewhere in space. I got news for you. It ain't happening. It's not, I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. And that's not based upon any scientific understanding that I have. It's based upon the Word of God. Psalm 115, verse 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens, plural, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. You say, well, should we be flying in airplanes and should we be sending space shuttles into space? Well, I look at it this way. If my neighbor walks across my yard, I'm not going to shoot him. But if they try to build a shop in my backyard, I'm probably going to be calling somebody and taking care of it. You're not going to camp out. And that's why I believe the Lord's putting, you know, you want to explore space, you want to, you know, put satellites up there, whatever we want to do. The Lord's not all worried about it, but you're not going to colonize another planet because God says, I've given you the earth. That's where man belongs. But anything else, God says, that's mine. You'll be trespassing. And I will say this, that, you know, going into outer space, I would be very aware and very conscious that we're in God's territory, no doubt about it. All right, so moving right along, how about the Euphrates River? I don't know a whole lot about the Euphrates River. I know that uh, some have said that there are some deep caves and caverns that are in some of the deep parts of the Euphrates River. I've thought about this, and I've thought, you know what? These four angels and all of these creatures with tails like snakes, they're all somehow in bound in the Euphrates River. Who, who, who would want to go, you know, diving in that river? I thought about that. Now, I, I personally, I don't want to go diving anyways. I, I don't mind swimming, but I haven't been interested in that. But it wouldn't be a big deal. And you know why? Because all these creatures are bound. You're not gonna, you're not, you're not gonna be in danger because they're bound. And thank God that the Lord has bound a lot of these creatures. We don't, I mean, you can be at the door or the gate and you can be swimming around and trying to harpoon fish. You're not even gonna know it because they are bound. Now, I don't think I wanna camp out near the Euphrates River if I'm lost and end up in the tribulation period when these trumpet judgments sound. But I'm not worried about that because I'm saved and I don't plan on being here. Amen to that. Now, Revelation 9.14 is really all we know about this Euphrates River as being a place, a geographic location in the spirit world. Now, I've got a couple more points here, but they are quick points. We've said a lot about where these places are, and I hope that, I hope that you've at least been intrigued that there are so many things that the Word of God tells us if we'll just listen and if we'll just believe it. 
And sadly, a lot of these things, the average Christian is supposed to know these things, but most Christians are totally ignorant as to the spirit world. God wants us to know them. But the second point this morning is the creatures that you never want to face. Now, the God of this world is desensitizing men through the digital world of media. I understand that. Otherwise, I think most men would drop dead of a heart attack just by seeing and hearing these creatures. You know, I, I think about it, what I, the Lord describes here, if the human race wasn't already desensitized, and, you know, certainly the bottomless pits open up, out comes these creatures. Forget about the third being killed by the serpent's heads and the brimstone. The third of them, people are going to die just from heart attack and stroke, right? But we're being desensitized. And there are a lot of things that are going on in human culture today that are the devil is behind the details. The infatuation with aliens and superpowers and creatures and all of these things, there's no, it's, it's not a, a coincidence, folks. It is designed. The scripture description of these creatures from the fifth and sixth trumpet judgment is sufficient to acknowledge we never want to face these creatures. The only power and protection we have over the spirit world is what God grants us. Interesting story in the book of Acts, chapter number 19, that there was a Jewish man named Sceva, and he had seven sons, and they were all exorcists. I mean, they they made a living going around and casting out devils. And so they got acquainted with the apostle Paul, and they'd seen how that Paul and his company, that they would come in and they would literally rebuke devils and cast them out, and they saw what Paul was doing, and because that was their trade they decided that they were going to mimic Paul. And so they said to a demon-possessed man, they said, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. They, they thought that this was this little clever incantation that if we say this this way, it's going to be magic and the devils are all going to leave. But they found out that there's no magic words to say. It's not a potion. It's not an incantation. Paul's power was the fact that he had Jesus Christ living inside of him. And so it says in Acts 19 and verse number 15, the evil spirit answered and said, and I love the way God puts this, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. One against seven, and they were beat up pretty bad. That's the power of that devil that lived inside of this man. They had no power against him, but Paul did. But it wasn't because of Paul, and it wasn't because of some magic formula. It was because of who Paul knew and who knew Paul. It was his relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, just practically speaking, this devil whom Paul had never seen in the invisible realm, he said, Jesus I know and Paul I know. I, I, I can't, I'm not tough enough to say that I would I'd be comfortable with any devil 
knowing my name. I, I don't like to suffer, and I don't like problems, and I don't like enemies. So I kind of like to fly under the radar. But you know what? If I can be faithful to the Lord and preach His Word and put a smile on His face so that there might be a devil or somebody out there in the spirit world that says, hey, I know who that guy is. I'd rather be an ally to Jesus Christ and the Word of God and be an enemy to the devil, wouldn't you? We don't have to be afraid of him. We don't have to be afraid of the spirit world. These are fearful creatures, but God does not intend for us to be afraid of them. Jesus said in Matthew 10:28, "Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell." That is not the devil, that is God. So if you fear God, you don't have to be afraid of those things. Listen, if God if God wants them to get me, then that's going to be up to him. I'm just going to trust him because I know that he is my only hope and source of protection. Thank God He gives us armor and He gives us a sword. And He said, submit yourself therefore to God and resist the devil and He'll flee from you. He gives us power. I I understand rightly dividing the word of truth and that some of the powers that the apostles had to heal and cast out devils, God doesn't just automatically give them to us, but it's the same God and it's the same Holy Spirit. And if God wants to give me power over those things, then He'll give it. But I can trust Him. And He doesn't want us to be afraid of these things that are, to be quite honest, terrifying if we don't know Jesus Christ like Paul did. We don't have to worry. Number three, the catastrophes, you better escape. I think I said it earlier. There will be no pain medicine, no vaccinations, no solution for the suffering inflicted by these creatures. You can't make a bunker thick enough. You can't supply it with food for long enough. There will be no place safe. There will be no way that you can protect yourself. Might as well face the fact that you don't want to face these creatures. And I close with verse 20 and verse 21 of our text. If you'd look back with me, Revelation 9 and verse number 20 and 21 It says the rest of the men, that's the two-thirds that were not killed by these plagues. And and I, I can't, these are so sad, heartbreaking words. Everyone who was left, it says that they repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. I understand in America this this kind of idolatry is not an issue for us. But look at verse 21. It says, Neither repented they of their murders nor of their sorceries. That word sorcery is connected to pharmacia. It's connected to drugs, drug addictions and so forth. Nor of their fornication. That is sexual uncleanness and impurity, and we're living in a very sexually impure generation. I mean, we could go on and on at how perverse and how licentious and how loose sexually, I mean, adultery and fornication and perversion, it is so common in today's culture. And here we've got it in the tribulation period, nor of their thefts. 
I mean, all of these things that God would do something if they would just repent. And even after these creatures are tormenting, they're watching it, they're seeing it. Some of them, some of them made it through the five months and then escaped the, that, that one hour of the 200 million, uh, serpent creatures and so forth. And yet they still, they didn't repent. It's like Pharaoh in Egypt. God would do miracles and try to get his attention. It's like you need to repent. You need to change your mind. And Pharaoh just continually would harden his heart. Listen, no man can say... I think about the rich man in hell. You know what he said to to Abraham when he saw Lazarus? He said, send Lazarus back to, to my five brethren that are still alive and they'll listen to him if he rose from the dead. And you know what Abraham said? He said, no, they won't. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the scripture. If they won't listen to God, why would they listen to Lazarus? Folks, we have the word of God. And the the human race during this time, they're going to know what's right. They're going to know what God stands for and represents and their idolatry and their sorceries and their murders and their thefts and their fornication. They're going to know God has made that clear. And yet they, they won't repent. They just hunker down stubbornly with a hard heart. Listen, no one can say what you're going to face in this life. I wish I could. I'd love to be able to prophesy and say, you know what, you might face this, and if you'll change this, you won't have to go through that. I don't know what you're going to go through. I don't know what I'm going to go through. But I do know this. Our circumstances are never the real issue. It's our heart that matters. Circumstances manifest what's already in our heart. They don't produce your problem. They just expose what your real problem is. What's in the well is what comes up in the bucket. Hebrews 3.15, while it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Here the Holy Spirit is speaking to the Jew in the tribulation period. He says, today, just like when your descendants were in the, the wilderness, and they were wandering around, and they wouldn't obey God. They wouldn't trust Him. And God would send certain things in certain circumstances, and no matter what God did, it just didn't turn their heart back to Him. And God's saying again and again, don't harden your heart. Don't let circumstances and suffering Turn your heart away from God. All of us, saved or lost, tend to allow circumstances to harden our heart. The last scripture I want to give you this morning is Isaiah 57, verse number 15. It says, God Almighty speaking, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. What a con- what's a contrite heart? 
It's the opposite of a hard heart. It's a heart that's tender, that receives the word of God, that looks in the mirror and says, God, I'm wrong and you're right. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for us to just humble and say, Lord, you're right. I repent. Will you forgive me? Hardening, you can harden your heart by rejecting the truth or you can humble yourself and have a contrite heart. Whether you're saved or lost, the devil's trying to harden your heart and he's going to use those circumstances. You've got a decision that you can make today that I'm going to yield to the Lord. Will you humble your heart and trust God today?